Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. legend in the literary world, of course, um, the author of the best-selling book, The Handmaid's Tale. And it tells of a near-future patriarchal society called Gilead, uh, in which the rights of women have been virtually erased. The handmaids are women forced to give birth to the babies of the ruling class. And you released it in 1985. And I read that the events in the book came from actual real-life events. Everything. Everything? Uh, everything. Well, I didn't want people saying, you're certainly a twisted, weird person. Yeah. Yeah. So instead, I wanted to be able to say, I, I made nothing up. I just relocated it to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they were not pleased at first. Well, but where, where were women being forced to have children? Which century would you like to... <laughs> yeah. Which century would you like to visit? Which country would you like mm. to visit? Huh. Which state in the United States would you now like to visit? Which was it in the United States? When was it in the yeah. United States? Well, 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 any any time before Roe versus Wade. Oh, I see. So, and and now since they're rolling back those rights and diminishing them so much, yeah. uh, you're approaching a, a state in which women are essentially being conscripted. Uh, or drafted the way you would be conscripted or drafted into the army. Uh, and my view on that is if you want to do this, if you want the state to claim ownership of women's bodies, you should pay. So if somebody is drafted into the army, they get their food, their lodging, their clothing, their medical, all of that covered. Uh -huh. So if you want to do that to women, you should pay for it. Huh. Don't you agree? Something's got to be done. Something, some remuneration if you're forced to give birth to some child that you don't... Well, I would say a lot of remuneration. <laughs> well, some people say they should pay women for just the housework that we all do. With raising children, cleaning the house, everything else we do, we don't get paid a dime for that. Well, I think it's a little bit different when it's your entire body that's being taken over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, recently in this country and in uh, other places around the world, we've seen attempts to severely limit people's rights, as you've just mentioned. In your view, uh, do you think we're moving towards Gilead? Some places are, and some places are moving in the <coughs> other direction. For instance, Ireland just took a step away from it. So you have countries where women have never had those rights. Mm. You have other countries where they've had them and they're being taken away. And what you can say about every totalitarian government, whatever their reason of being they say they have, uh, whatever their ideology, one thing they always do is roll back women's rights. Right. Every single one of them. Mm. So it is, it is a symptom and also a result of going further towards an autocratic, authoritarian, totalitarian government. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the her in bitter. <laughs> wow, bitter. <good. laughs> nice. So bitter. Yes. Um, I decided that after listening to that 
I would love one day to be in an interview and for someone to start the interview by saying, you are a legend. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, Jerry, Andrew, come on. Yeah. I I mean, I I wish. Are you even doing a show with us right now? Oh, yeah. Um, Where are the compliments? Where are all the compliments about how legendary you are? We are here with the the legendary. The legendary. uh, We'll put the her legend hurry. Legend legend hurry. (laughs) Legendary. No, so what she was just talking about, like, I, there's this thing floating around the internet where these moms, these angry looking moms, are standing next to their poor poor child and they're holding up these boards and it's like uh 30 hours of cleaning per week equals you know and then a number like how Mm. much they should have been how much you would normally pay someone for 30 hours of cleaning a week how much you would normally pay someone for this many hours of child care how many hours you would pay someone for this much cooking and like this this is the emotional toll that women are owed and then the poor kid is standing there like with this price that their mom is holding them over their head that their mom right. should have paid for taking care of them. Can you think of anything more bitter or hateful or resentful or untrue or self-centered? Like you can't, you, mm-hmm. you can't. name one thing you can't. Right. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> that made me so I, mad. It yeah. made me so yeah. mad. I wish I, I wish there could be a compilation of just your people react to those reaction videos <laughs> I wish there was a camera right now that we could have just played that audio and I wish everyone could have just seen the <laughs> broad so variety mad. of made me so mad. It's so stupid. It, interactions that is, you that, to that, that is yeah. feminism in a nutshell. It mm-hmm. is just this anger. It's just right. bitterness towards everyone. It is this self exaltation. I've not been appreciated. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> honestly, isn't that just the most human sinful reaction? To right. Anything? Yeah. Like, if, you, if, you haven't ugh. seen all the work I did. You don't mm. know how great I don't am. Don't you know I'm a legend? <laughs> <laughs> right. If sex has consequences because I live in God's world and I give birth yeah. and I have to stay home, pay take me. care of my actions, you better pay me, government. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. ridiculous. The ultimate. Mm. Anyway. Right. Hi. So, here we are. Hi. Here we are. And so as you know, we are here with Joy and Summer from the Sheologians podcast. Uh, and so we talked a little bit about your uh, podcast, what it's all about. You deal with all sorts of sheological issues, uh, <laughs> as you would say. Oh, no. Might as well. <laughs> that's, a dad, that's a dad joke coming out of me. I'm like, I'm not even a dad yet. I'm already just prepping for it. Um, but, you know, in many ways, and we're also, for any of your listeners, our show is called Cultish. We deal with different cults, fringe movements, and even like cultural stuff from a biblical worldview. And... I think it's really important, especially in this episode, to kind of really kind of get into, as we talked last time, really defining terms, mm-hmm. understanding the language barrier, because what will happen, especially now in today's day and age, there are, and your dad has talked about it, how a lot of times there are sort of these impact words that are used where there's no, there's no, there's a loss of intellectual thought, the ability to think critically. It's shouting a slogan um, or just, yeah. or just saying something without even thinking critically about what does that mean. Uh, you heard Atwood right. in that interview talk about reproductive freedom and how mm-hmm. that's oppressed. And so you're taking something that people naturally, people naturally want to be free. We're drawn into the stories of people fighting against people who are oppressed. And that's happened all the times throughout history and society. Mm-hmm. But then we're taking something that people identify with as virtuous and good. Mm-hmm. And in that you're implying terminology that's distorted. And especially with dealing with cults, 
they'll do the exact same thing. So we're dealing with people who are in Scientology, who are in Mormonism, uh, people who are in the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, even in the New Age. They'll talk about mm-hmm. Jesus. They'll talk about enlightenment. They'll talk about, they'll even a lot of times use Christian terminology. You even see it now, where even a lot of the stuff that's used in The Handmaid's Tale is used a lot of times in very progressive churches, uh, even now with this whole really woke movement, which in many ways you could argue is a cult in and of itself, but that, that could be a whole nother episode. Right. So, um, so just uh, real quickly, we are talking about it. Um, oh, actually, before we do it, people need to know. <laughs> I feel like your audience needs to know a little bit about yeah. us. So, yeah, Joy, good. before mm-hmm. we jump into that, you've known me for a long time. I have. And you've known me for a very, very long very time. Very long time. So people... How would you describe me? You, how do you describe Jerry? You're talking about you're trying to explain yeah. to your husband. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know. You guys have gone to church together for, I mean, over a decade now, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I met you when I was eight. And then so. I they I knew Jerry before he started coming to Apologia yeah. also. Yeah. Um, so, Jerry. <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into the night we met, but... <laughs> Oh boy. It was a doozy. I think I know. You got that. introduced. You... I think I know that. Let's story. just say Jerry was wearing a Halloween costume and it wasn't Halloween, but he thought it was Halloween. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yes. That you just summed up like Jerry. an accurate Halloween yeah. costume. Okay, so I so, was trying to that's describe Jerry to my husband because there's this the thing about Jerry is that. Jerry is so Jerry that Jerry is his own adjective <laughs> is how I try to explain it. You like can that. Jerry. You can yeah. Jerry. It's a verb as well. You can Jerry. Jerry's just Jerry. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, if you know Jerry, you don't have to say anything else. You can just yeah. be like, yeah, that's Jerry. Um, so I was trying to explain that to my husband before he had met you. Yeah. And like he understood the concept. Like you can grab, you can grab the concept pretty well. But I'll never forget the first time he actually spent time with you because he came home and I don't even remember what that was, but he got to be around you in some capacity uh-huh. for the first time ever. Yeah. And he was like, oh man, I totally get it. <laughs> he was just like, and I mean, I That's think he cute. was around you like for like 15 minutes and he uh-huh. was like, you don't have to explain this to me anymore. That's just Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, you don't need any other any other thing and my my memories of you and i've been meaning to ask you this for a while so i'll ask Mm. you now what was the car the little white hatchback car that you drove back in the early 2000s oh that was what was that a honda no it was a mustang it was a mustang there was i was actually uh jeff durbin and i we were running a karate school together uh one of our students his dad was a huge mustang fanatic and i needed a new car and he sold me a, uh, it was like a just really nice Mustang. I'm, I'm such a non-car person. Yeah. Where I could sound like it's all cool. I'm totally going to like butcher it. So there's going to there's gonna be some auto per- yeah. mechanic person be like, oh, you totally misquoted that. You don't really like Mustangs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember being. Oh, yeah. It had eight cylinders in it. So I think that means it's like really fast and it could go really fast. It would just guzzle. It would just guzzle through gas. You just shift gears. I just remember and being in it. your car <laughs> and listening to like trance music and you two really loud. Oh and my gosh! Driving down the two hundred two and man, those were some good times. There was a while where I think Je- I was trying to sort of emulate Jeff 
yeah. in many ways that we yeah. both would we'd have <laughs> these music. we'd go to that one uh, place express i don't know if they're oh, yeah, still express. around oh i and remember we, the yeah. express days is express still around though <laughs> i don't know I don't yeah you'd have these like really funky jeff used to have a belt buckle that was basically from express it was just a giant eagle like these two <laughs> wings are like oh, <laughs> out of it, it was beyond and i the, the cologne i remember the, co- the express jeff just for yeah. anyone that's curious jeff's aesthetic is 90s vampire. <laughs> oh, wow. That's his aesthetic. And nice. we don't need to say anymore. That's good. She nailed it. Like yes. it could not I, be... I can't take credit for that. Honestly, oh, you somebody can't? else made it. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's that yeah. anyway, Express. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was a Mustang and we would drive around. I think um you drove in it a couple times too. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and a back the, lot of times. Yes. And even the um that time like listening to trance music, Jeff was into that and that was sort of the music we play at the karate school to get everyone really pumped up. Pumped yeah. up. <laughs> and it was just sort of it was like that era. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. so those are the days, man. So yeah, I've known is, Jerry for a long time and yes. he's always liked you and i have no yeah l- obsessed with you too and i just don't i don't know the thing about jerry too is that disp- like we say like oh you're just jerry uh-huh. but you're aware of it <laughs> yeah, yeah i just embrace it in you a have ve- to. in a very good way it has like stripped you of pride hmm. like some people that you know if someone's if- like jerry you're being you're being a little quirky. Yeah. yeah. Some people are like, no, right. no, I'm not. But Jerry's like, yep, yeah, that's I just am. me. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone gets yeah. their name as an adjective to describe right. who they are. And the reason this came up was like just before we started recording, Jerry was walking away to get water. And I was like, oh, hey, I just took the last of the water. But I saw you in some other zone. You can like, see it you in Jerry's in, eyes. You know, when he's yeah, already, you know, in his yeah. eyes when he's not here, he's mm-hmm. somewhere else. And so then he walks like over and like 10 seconds later, he's like, Oh, there's no water. <laughs> well, that's Jerry. Yeah. And thankfully, I have some nice, tasteless LaCroix. LaCrocs. I call it LaCrocs. La what, yeah. what, uh, what was it sitting next to that gave it its mild flavor? Um, oh, no. It's the pure. I like how instead of like unflavored. <laughs> what does it say? It's pure. It's pure, yeah. yeah. No. It's- Way to go, LaCroix marketing <laughs> yeah. team. They're woke. Which is, yeah. which is, which is great, too, because I sure. think... Uh, Babylon B had an article one time where it says uh, just millions of dollars of product of LaCroix like recalled for actually tasting like something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. Anywho, hi. So now yes. so now every, all of your crowd can uh, know all of your audience, is. they know who Jerry is yeah. and then yeah. Now so, you know if we use that as an adjective where mm. it came from, what yep. that means. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we were talking about The Handmaid's Tale. This is where yeah, we're Yeah, that's right. But, that's why we're here. But then again, we had to have that, that sort of thing because that's a lot of times you, you'll just uh, like you giggle to and that together. You have, we to, have chat. to chat. Yeah. And I feel like we've done it a couple times where most of the times we're just doing serious interviews with people. But we've you guys just, are intense. See, yeah. I told you you're intense. Yeah, Andrew's like jumping at the bit ready to jump into this. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so this is what I think what's really good when we talk about this uh Handmaid's Tale. We're we're kind of jumping around a little bit too, but just understanding and reiterating in the last podcast, as there's been a lot of controversy with, uh, again with uh, Netflix and their releasing of the film Cuties, and just really well, just the graphic sexualization of minors, and you know people even like Tulsi Gabbard, who's a pro-abortion Democrat, right. um, she was speaking out against it. Yeah. And when the when the people who are pro-baby murder think that your movie crossed the line. Like here's your sign, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's your sign. They're but like, I you're think cramping our style. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those things too when all of a sudden people are, you know, there, there's this acceptance of all these other shows and, and worldviews and, and sort of twists of morality is that aren't that big of a deal, but it's, it's, it ends up getting you somewhere. All of a sudden you're shocked. Mm-hmm. Like why, I, I, I'm kind of some really more surprised like why people are so shocked that we got here right. of having a film sure. like that. Yeah. And, and But even what's more important too is that especially when it comes to the idea of film and entertainment is that there's always a worldview propagated behind that. So just one thing that we identified too in one of our initial episodes uh, when we had Stephen Bancars on, we had an introductory episode, episode on the New Age and the Occult and in it we talked about Doctor Strange. So in it, yeah, it's a Marvel. He's part of the Marvel Universe. He's in Avengers. He's by Benedict Cumberbatch, and he plays uh, this character. Blueberry Cumberspringle. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's his actual name. Oh, isn't, okay. isn't he what? an American in Doctor Strange? Yes, and his yes. accent is impossible. Okay. When I watched Doctor Strange, I couldn't. It right. made me s- Why would you try to de-British Benedict right. Cumberbatch? You should not hmm. de-British him. He played him. Sherlock Holmes. Right. You can't know. de-British him. You cannot. It's like a law in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> the least American person I have ever met. Seriously. He, and he's the most British person. I know. I know I haven't met him. I've he's watched a lot of British. Sherlock. Yeah. He's so British. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Right. Huh. Yeah. I would have preferred you make Doctor Strange British. Yeah. Just make him British. I don't even care. But then they hired <laughs> Blueberry Pumpersnickel. Like, I love that so why? much. Blueberry why? Pumpersnickel. I'm going to have to research that. Out. Andrew, you're going to have to do yeah. some super sleuthing on that afterwards. I don't think I need to. I just accept it as it is. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Welcome. You just have to accept this for what, for what it is. Um, anyway. Oh, yeah. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So in so Blueberry Pumpersnickel, who plays <laughs> Doctor Strange, yes. in it... Um, you know, he's really into sorcery and yeah. he's some, and so he's dealing with, you know, the, really the spiritual realm versus the other Avengers who deal with the, um, the, he defends, he's the, the defender of the astral realm right. versus right. the other Avengers who are the, the, who are defending the physical realm. They're defending right. earth. So what you see, if you watch Dr. Strange, there's a lot of Eastern yeah. occultic things that are real that people do experience. So in the film where he talks about where the, uh, the person who's uh, sort of like the ascended master is talking to Dr. Strange and she says, open your eye and hits him. And you see his astral body go outside of his physical body. Right. Well, that is some cool special effects. That is a film representation of, of a worldview and mm-hmm. actual things that do take place who get into the occult. Mm-hmm. And, it's not a good thing. It always ends up in right. bad places, especially. And if you want to know more about that, definitely check out our discussion mm-hmm. on that. So yeah. the relevance to The Handmaid's Tale is that you have Margaret Atwood. We're going to talk about her views. And you hear at the very beginning, she has this understanding of what is truth, uh, what she believes about the world, how she's interpreting things, which had a huge influence on her initial book, which is now having a huge influence on women and how they interpret things even now. As Christians, we have to be able to get answers to that because people aren't just being entertained. They are being told a they're story. Being catechized. Yes, they're being catechized. Yeah. And in fact, one of the things, too, is that uh, it's Elizabeth Moss who plays... Uh, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the... Offred. 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 For some reason, I kept on thinking Hagrid, but that's the guy in Harry Potter. <laughs> is that a combination <laughs> of... I almost always want to call her Hester <laughs> <laughs> because of a... The Scarlet Letter. Oh, oh. that's that. You know what's funny is that 
I whenever I think of The Handmaid's Tale, I always accidentally think of The Scarlet Letter. Yeah, that's the book I read. In Which high is very, it's very you similar, know, yeah. yeah. Right. There's some. I'm not relating. There's to some any of symbols this. taken <laughs> for sure. Yeah, right. Um, so in it, like, so getting down to it is that people are, are understanding that. So, so the actress, she, uh, Elizabeth Moss, she was stating that most of the times, even in their production meetings, th- that current events and things are happening with, whether it's, uh, abortion legislation or something that President Trump is doing or something that evangelicals are doing as far as imposing their worldview, that this is literally, they discuss this in their production meetings for episodes. They're, sure. they're propagating through... Yeah. Entertainment. So a lot of times you think, you know, if you're mm-hmm. flipping through the channels, oh, let me just go off of CNN to now something else. Now I'm not being prop, I'm not being preached at. Yeah, no, no. Every, <laughs> si- every single form of, of film entertainment yeah. has some sort of worldview that's being propagated. Only Christians understood that. I know. And then wanted to be as aggressive with it. Maybe they right? stop making films that are so bad. So bad. Mm. So. But then we do it and people get upset. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Anyways, maybe Kevin Sorbo will come across this and maybe he'll, maybe he'll, uh, <laughs> oh, no. he'll take that to heart. So. <laughs> you did not. I just did. <laughs> Um, yeah. I feel like Kanye at this point is our like only hope. <laughs> like Kanye needs to start getting into everything. He needs to create a production studio. Like, oh, I think he's having a breakdown. He's right now um, it's kind of sad. Oh no, it's really sad. Anyway, oh, I hope Kanye. that I hope that one of these days, like several generations from now, there'll be some sort of Peter Christian Peter Jackson that will have like a $300 million production of Pilgrim's Progress, mm. all like practical, like yeah. Lord of the Rings effects done by Weta Workshop. Oh, I can't It would wait. be amazing. Yeah. Wow. It would be epic. Yeah. So. Mm, that's good. Anyways, as far as Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> in the like, meantime. Mm, amen. Mm, I've <laughs> yeah. heard it. I was thinking of like Christian talking to the <laughs> abortionist, like yeah. changing the terms to more modern <laughs> times. Like, right. That'd be intense. So Gilead, which is the... Uh, dystopian society and, and that was supposedly theonomic right she's really defining when we talk about defining terms mm-hmm. what they're looking at is really this is supposed to be the ultimate representation of what the patriarchy would be mm-hmm. so that is again i think that's within the feminist movement specifically it's one of those terms that is used just as an emotional shouting term or impact yeah. word mm-hmm. versus understanding it and if i'm yeah. truly honest sometimes if i'm sort of challenged to truly define it i mean i could mm-hmm. i could think through genesis and the way that god has called it and stuff mm-hmm. like that but just from your podcast and how you listen to it how, how do you define that biblically versus how they define it can you differentiate just real quickly between the two Um, I was just going to say that patriarchy is kind of just another word for, I mean, it's not synonymous, but it's might be easier to think of it in terms of its, its fellow term hierarchy, uh, which basically means that there are levels of people who have power, um, influence, uh, positions, um, and, so I think what's important to consider, obviously, in this conversation is that uh, there are people who have discovered hierarchies and uh, their intent is to tear them down. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where What they get torn down into, I'm not sure that they know. Um, but so basically, yeah, so patriarchy is a form of hierarchy that means that men are more centralized and in and tend to be more in a position of power but it's i I mean the the word literally means father rule right so you have the patra that's the father 
and then the a matriarch, you know, you've heard of the patriarchs, and mm-hmm. then the matriarch mm-hmm. of the family would be the mother, the oldest mother. Um, so in general, like the matriarch of the family would be like the grandmother and Mm -hmm. then the patriarch would be the grandfather. It's from Mm -hmm. where the family comes. Right. Right. It Mm -hmm. explains that. Um, and so the, the patriarchy is the, well, the patriarchy according to feminism is something different, but the, the patriarchy basically now is a catch all phrase for Mm. when the fathers lead. Right. Mm. Uh, the family lead the group. Men are more in a position of power and yeah. influence. So right. they're on the top of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, we have uh, in scripture, the Bible refers to um, the patriarchs of old, uh, talking specifically about heroes of the faith, Abraham being the patriarch that, um, the main patriarch that comes to mind, the original, the, OG. <laughs> the one that God, you know, first established um, the Abrahamic covenant with, that's right. why we call it that. Yep. Um, the Abrahamic covenant when he established that in, uh, Genesis 15. Um, and interestingly enough, a lot of, uh, the, a lot of the foundation for the handmaid's tale comes from Genesis 15 and, and 16. Um, and it is attack in that way on the patriarchy, both as feminism defines it, but then also as the Bible defines it, right. I would say. Um, so I think that, um, for me, if I could give anyone, if I could give a Christian, I think one of the most important things in this conversation, um, is, is a tool to speak, to respond to this idea in the handmaid's tale that what a Christian, that Christians would emulate what happened, uh, between Sarah and Hagar back in Genesis uh, 16. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea of the reason that the patriarchs in Gilead get to have wives and then also sex slaves is supposedly because of what happened in Genesis 16 between Sarah and Hagar. So uh, they had gotten the covenant, um, the Abrahamic covenant that happened in Genesis 15, where that's, you know, where God promises that you're going to have children as multitudinous as the stars and the sand. And, and, and here's Sarah, she's like old mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. she's Abraham's wife. And she's like, um, barren. yeah, she's like, okay, that's not going to happen. So it's not happening. It's not happening. And so Sarah, uh, is like, you know, here's my servant, like have children with her right. that way we can, we can make this covenant come about. And of course it's always a mistake when we try to make God's promises come about. Right. Cause we're not in charge of that. Um, and so the whole idea is that in Gilead, they set up a similar system where the husband and the wife, they're not having kids. So they have to bring in these fertile handmaids mm-hmm. to have the kids with them. And they have this weird ritual where, like I said, they're essentially reading from Genesis as they, do this awful thing to the handmaids. Um, and of course, Hagar does end up conceiving um, and has Ishmael. Am I getting that name right? Yeah. Thank yes. you. Okay. So that would be horrible if I didn't get that right. It's Ishmael. Okay. Um, and so anyway, I think uh, Christians sometimes will have a hard time when they're kind of smacked with this like, oh, well, the father of our faith did do that. Right. So whatever. So I think this is the point where we have to understand that when we read scripture, um, 
a lot of we believe that Genesis is history, Amen. right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Genesis is history. That's um, very important um, to believe if you're a Christian. And this section is uh, what we would call descriptive, not prescriptive. Right. So we don't believe that um, Sarah should have given her servant to Abraham and done this. This was, and and if you continue reading, you will see that right. it's the, the Lord also yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. did not wish for this to happen. So this is a story that happened. This is not a prescription for how we are to, you cannot attain the blessings and promises of God by uh, circumventing how he's told you to live. That's actually right. the opposite of what right. you're supposed to do. So that is just a very simple thing. But I also want to say, um, that I think a lot of times Christians are made to feel apologetic for the things that we read in the Bible. We're made to feel like, oh, well, that's embarrassing. And then we end up kind of being embarrassed of Abraham on their behalf, right? which Hmm. is going to make it really hard for you when you get to Hebrews 11 and you read the hall of faith. Yeah. yeah. And we're told we're these, these people who did these things that were like unimaginable. Um, we're told that they're like our great cloud of witnesses that are like cheering us on. And, and we're, we're told about Abraham's great faith that he had. Um, and so sometimes we read passages like this and we're like that Abraham, I know the moral of this story is that I shouldn't be like Abraham. But the New Testament talks about Abraham in such a way that you would think you would leave it thinking, oh, I should be more. I should be like Abraham. Like we're talking about Mm -hmm. Abraham's faith that was credited to him as righteousness. We're talking about like God's chosen one. If you keep reading Genesis, like it says even the Hittites were like that guy, Abraham, Mm -hmm. like he's the prince of God. Like he was revered in the land and the New Testament reveres him. And so sometimes we're put in these, this position where we're almost like embarrassed though. Cause we're like, Oh yeah. He like told everyone Sarah's his sister. That was weird. And he did this thing with Hagar and that was weird. And so mm-hmm. don't let the world let you focus on the wrong thing here. Yeah. <laughs> um, is what I'm trying to say. Like, don't number one, we're not apologetic and Abraham, like he is a hero of the faith and he had great faith and, uh, we should, uh, have the appropriate view of these people. We should think of them the way that we're that they're spoken about in the New Testament, and not necess- definitely not the way um, the Handmaid's Tale would have you think right. about yeah. them. Um, and we shouldn't be apologetic in mm. like any way for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing is to notice too is that in many ways that if you think about just historical accounts of. She's talking about oppressive, you know, dictatorships or oppressive states and what they do. One of the things you'll see, especially if you look at the dictatorships like Mao or Joseph Stalin or Mussolini, they always sort of portray themselves as this completely perfect whitewash sort of messiah character with no flaws and there's Mm -hmm. these giant statues made uh, in their likeness where they're kind of known as the perfect person. Whereas... In this, when you kind of look at something, if you're trying to tell a story where you're trying to make, from a human standpoint, in comparative to the rest of history, of making Abraham sort of this flawless patriarch with all these abilities, why would you include a story where he is completely mm-hmm. wussing out and saying that his wife is really his sister? It also, it also happened more than once. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... And you look at just examples of that and even people like King David, like the biblical, sto- the, the biblical accounts, like they don't, 
they're very open about their flaws because they're open to the truth versus telling something something that's different. And what they're doing essentially, it just I remember it's getting to the point of the show in the four or ish episodes I watched, is that they're quoting these passages from Genesis. And I was trying to think about what are for someone who's not biblically literate. You know, you, you stated this great thing, and I think that even that is a good clip in of itself that people listen to over and over again. But the majority of people don't have that biblical literacy mm-hmm. where they would look at something of that scene where they're doing this really distorted ritual. We can say is disgusting. Yeah. Even from a biblical standpoint. Right. Um, but especially from a biblical standpoint. Yes. Yeah. Only from a <laughs> biblical standpoint. Only. There you go. <laughs> Driving it down there. Um, Adverbs. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the normal person will who's biblically literate will look at something like that and just that show is sort of implying like this is what is going to happen if if there if we end up having a a, a really a christianized society a society that's obedient to god and that follows mm-hmm. biblical principles mm-hmm. well, and this is this is where it's going to happen this is the implication right at least that's coming across in that show well right. and that's where we have to be super clear that the christians in this story are not Christians. Right. Right. Um, They're not. They (laughs) don't. There is, for those of you that feel like that, you know, are in the situation that Summer just described and you feel embarrassed or apologetic, um, just know that there is an absolute description um, of a person that says that they're not a Christian. If someone lives um, and they're actively unfaithful to their wife, which they are inside of the system that they've built, but also outside of the system that they've built. The men in this story, yeah. they go to prostitutes and they have mm-hmm. secret clubs and stuff like that. So they're not, they're living this double life, first of mm-hmm. all. They're being unfaithful within the constraints of their society and outside of what's considered appropriate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about rape, mm-hmm. um, which is... Condemnable by death. Yes. Punishable by death. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, there is, and we're talking about people who live this way. Right. They're um, enslaved to it, so they're not. It sounds very simple, but the the Christians in this story are not Christians. They're right. not saved. They're not going to heaven. Um, and so I think it, it, in a way, it it might seem more complicated than it is. It's just not really. It's not complicated at all. Yeah. The villain in this story. They're not while. While uh, feminist groups uh, and, you know, critical race theorists and that whole group, intersectionality, all that stuff, while they attribute uh, patriarchy oppression to religion, the religion that they are describing is not the true religion. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where the breakdown really is. And um, the your liberal secular women's study major friend um she doesn't get to decide what the bible says Mm -hmm. about who's a christian um or what's ethical or valuable or anything like that um it's very it's something that's even uh very simple to consider too is just and this is you know we've talked about how uh i guess we've talked about the sexual revolution we've and sort of just the breakdown of Christians in our culture uh-huh. and the c- world itself. But um, one of the biggest strides that was made by the sexual revolution was just um, 
like monogamous relationships. Like, oh, like I can just be with whoever I want as mm-hmm. long as I, or I guess ra- more appropriately, I should say consensual relationships. Right. Yeah. Um, so as long as two adults, regardless of gender, are consenting, and that's the first uh, lie that Christians bought from the sexual revolution, which is that, and now here we are. Consent is the ultimate virtue. Well, and here we are saying that promiscuity is a right. Because women's rights are being infringed upon, right? But what's actually, what is the way that Christians, quote unquote, are uh, trying to control women? They're saying you shouldn't be rampantly promiscuous. And then when you conceive a child, which is how children are conceived. Right. Uh be like, oh, well, I shouldn't have to carry a baby, though. It seems yeah. like a great play. If the patriarchy was really insidious, it would seem like a really great play to convince all the women to give their bodies away for free. Right. Because in God's system, before you do that, you make a man pledge his life, his money, every all his worldly possessions. Right. And his fidelity for all time before you give it away for right. free. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Summer, you just get you just gave some great yes. you just gave away some great advice. So, if anyone's who's listening, if you have a friend that's looking to start a patriarchy, <laughs> send this episode to them, and he can listen to what Summer just said, and that might give him a head start. Yeah, I mean, so. you guys are really on to something there. I, I think there's a massive uh, misunderstanding as well from the modern feminine movement of what could be considered patriarchy in the Bible, because yes, the the husband is the head of her wife, but Christ is, is the head of the husband. Right. So there's still right. a hierarchy in the terms of who the man answers to. So yeah. with regards uh, to Abraham, if we're looking at the situation with Hagar, we can see what Jesus says in Matthew 19, four through six. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, mm. right? There's a very specific reason why Jesus is stating this, right? He's, right. he's actually going back to the word of God, mm-hmm. saying it's the word of God, mm-hmm. using it as his authority. He's using precept on the Pharisees who are, who are attacking him at this time. Mm-hmm. And he says, the two shall become one flesh, not multiples. And there's multiple verses all throughout the Bible, especially in the New, in the New Testament that refer mm-hmm. to uh, one man and one woman, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at Abraham, he's not justified by his works before God. He's justified by his faith, looking forward to the promises of God, like mm-hmm. it says in Hebrews. And when he's running with the faith, he's justified the, by the perfect action and work of Jesus Christ. Right. So if we're looking at the Old Testament, I'm not looking at Abraham as my savior. I'm right. not looking at Jacob no. as my savior. Right, I'm right. not looking at Moses as my savior. No, all of history and the Bible revolves around the perfect work of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. not them. Mm-hmm. He condemns those actions, but they're not justified by their works. They're justified by their faith. It's making known that these men are sinners, right. but the faith they had was the faith in the coming Messiah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. that's what the Christian should stand on in the conversation. Is no, I absolutely agree. Those things are those are bad. That's not good. What Abraham did, he didn't. They, him and Sarah, they didn't trust in God right. in right. that situation. However, right. God, what what man intends for evil, God uses for good to bring about His right. purposes. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. That's right. right. And I love if you keep reading in uh, past fifteen, and then you see what happens in chapter uh, Genesis chapter sixteen. Uh, and it's all about what happened with Hagar and Sarah. But then you see Hagar runs away because Sarah's super mean to her after this, right? Mm-hmm. And who takes care of Hagar and makes a covenant with her? God. God does. Mm-hmm. God takes care of her. He picks her up out of the desert. Uh, he takes care of Ishmael. He takes care of that whole situation. So 
as it's portrayed in Handmaid's Tale, you would think that God is just doing this awful stuff to women and he doesn't care about the women. But who is it at the end of chapter 16 that saves Hagar from this thing that was bad? Well, it's God. It's right. God that saves her and, and, mm-hmm. and makes the Ishmael and his people. I mean, God had a covenant with Ishmael and he took care of Ishmael and Ishmael's mm-hmm. people were prospered and they grew. Right. And mm-hmm. yeah, he, he wasn't the promised one. Uh, we know who the promised one was. We know that it and it was right. going to come through Sarah and not Hagar. Right. Um, but it's just it's so it's sad how, you know, you won't you you can only be frustrated by the argument put forth in Handmaid's Tale if you just read a couple verses, mm-hmm. just read the whole chapter well, and, they, and you they get a very different picture. They acknowledge, uh, Alfred acknowledges that like they take things out of context. Right. Not so, in the TV show. Oh, okay. Not in the TV show. Mm-hmm. So she talks about how they take things out of context. Mm. Um, I don't think Margaret Atwood's, um, I don't think her argument is so much against it's obviously not against true Christianity. Um, and I don't like, I don't even think she's attempting to make that mm, claim, interesting. but what she is against is um, like power structures that try to control women. Right. Uh, even from the interview. So she, but, and I would say that through the book, you could say that she believes that religion is a highly corruptible self-serving Mm-hmm. Uh, enterprise so she doesn't actually Says have a legendary author right <laughs> so right legendary. so the point is is that she doesn't this and this is a problem that you have over and over and over again in christians and secular people alike when they don't actually have an objective foundation that they stand on right because in our world right now like i just said rampant promiscuity is not a right promiscuity is not a right there is a scene in the in well it's not a scene i guess a passage in the book where she does her first ritual with this commander and then she some like guy who works at the house comes to her and she like has sexual feelings for him and that's like okay yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. in according to the bible neither of those two things are okay. Right. So consider even that that if you have if you have an issue with what we're saying, consider that you have long departed deciding what's right and what's wrong uh, by using the Bible. Mm-hmm. So th- this is good. So Mar- Margaret in some interviews that she did, uh, you can find them on YouTube. It's a three-part series on religion and um, she's an agnostic. She says she's a strict agnostic, which we mean we know means that you cannot no. Right, right. Right. You cannot know. So in her worldview, in her mind, there is no such thing as true Christianity. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. she thinks it's up to interpretation. And like we've talked about with the power struggles, it's this is almost like a it's it's created, I would say, from from Nietzschean philosophy. It's like an offspring of will to power, essentially, especially right. with the feminism power struggle, trying to sway the pendulum back, trying right. to, you know, create oppressed oppressors and then create conflict with some weird Marxist stuff in order to regain power. But although the people who typically revolt in a Marxist society are usually the ones who become the most oppressed by the actual state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in a sense though, uh, she's, she's already laid her cards on the table. She says you can't know anything at all. You can't. Right. And if you can't know anything at all, there's no purpose and there's no meaning in itself. Mm -hmm. So it's a position to hold. 
Right. Yeah. That And that's why I brought up impulses in the last show, because really that's what it's reduced to. Mm-hmm. Humans are just like this bag of flesh uh, and water that chemical that have these feelings towards fizzing. other towards other people. Right. Um, and when you're not uh, held accountable or held to consistency, it's easy to have a story like this exist or be like, Oh, you know, like what a quaint, cool, like perspective or just like the angle of that story is really cool, but it's just not, it's lacking a lot of consistency. Um, and it's lacking a lot of consistency that I don't think, I think, uh, we bought, we bought this story Mm. a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what it, and I honestly believe it started, we do this all the time where we, there are um, what God would consider perverse sexual relationships that people have with each other. And we have started making concessions mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, well it should be a man and woman, but they should like at least, you know, like each other. They right. should be in a monogamous relation. And it's to the point where a lot of Christians even have a hard time dealing with homosexual uh, monogamy. It's like, well, but what's the, what's the harm? What's the harm? Like mm-hmm. what's going on? What's the harm with just letting women have sex with whoever they want? Right. God said no. Yeah. Well, they, 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 <laughs> they attack uh, the sufficiency of scripture and it's due right. to the rise of like theological liberalism right. from the yeah. early 1800s into the 1950s. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise you, right. but it doesn't mean that they're consistent. It doesn't mean that they've discovered uh, this like new lens to mm-hmm. view Christianity through. Right. The Bible still has to be the foundation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, then you absolutely are becoming a Republic of Gilead. Yes. The people who, but that's, and that's the problem. That's mm-hmm. why we're here doing this. <laughs> yeah. Because any, but, but in a way, like Offred and her people, according to Margaret Atwood, they're the same as Commander guy mm-hmm. basically they just don't have the power to do what they want right one of them has yeah. the power to do what they want and be forgiven the other one doesn't have the power to do what they want and be forgiven mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with um it has nothing to do with your with the state like the state doesn't they can't the state can't issue like forgiveness it can issue justice <laughs> or mercy oh yes, mm-hmm. yes. but it do, god god is the one jesus paid for that it, it, so we can't make that the state's yeah it, job it, it makes me think like margaret atwood's worldview is this it's sitting on top in the best loft of the highest tower where you have the best view however at the bottom of this tower it's already imploding on itself and by the time you realize it's already too late and you die from the impact like <laughs> right. that that's what the worldview is right mm. yeah and so this is all really good. And I think like one of the examples too, when you talk about the definition of terms, when it comes to examples that the show gives is, um, so in it, we talked about this in the break, they have the, uh, Rachel and Leah center and you see this right in the very, you see this right in the very, see, I don't think that's in the, I don't think that some of this stuff in the, some of the stuff you guys are talking about, I'm like, I don't think this was in this book. Right. But it, it, this, well, this is just, it's just <laughs> the amusing. The show is so bad. It's, oh, no. It's so bad. Because it, it's just so incredibly, like, sticking your finger in your face. Like, I'm I'm a really big, I wanted to at least enjoy it on some level. But just, when content-wise, I couldn't consume it. But even without the graphic content, 
I just couldn't handle the show. You were because trying it just... to appreciate the story for yeah. what it was, at least. Yeah, I, I do like. It seems like the show kind of just imagine ruined that an old some. feminist the book... like shaking her head at you. The book <laughs> you really what it's like. The book the you show. really do. There are plenty of moments where you really, really because you get to know the main character so well because it's right. just her story like right. she mm-hmm. just talks to you the whole time nobody else if somebody else is talking in the book mm-hmm. it's her telling Explaining, you that they yeah. said it you know she's hoping that people find this information in the yeah. future and yeah. there's all these very she has these memories of her mother and and just uh you know she, there's moments of like happiness where her mm-hmm. life seems normal um and maybe she's going to be okay and adjust to this mm-hmm. and then there's times when she's like very broken over it you know so the book I don't. I think maybe the book and the show. I would give two different recommendations. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. so, they're you know. So in the show, in the very beginning, after these women who they find out to be fertile, because apparently, ideally, from what in one of the interviews with Elizabeth Moths was saying, potentially because of climate change, or some I'm some indescribable sure variables. Well, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Some indescribable variables. Long story short, most only a few select women can give birth, and they have a way of finding that, that out. Those women get abducted, uh, pulled from their belongings, and, and in some way, it is an accurate representation to like what cults do. They they completely disconnect you from your family of origin. You mm-hmm. cut them off, and you're sort of called to embrace a new identity, mm-hmm. either through sometimes forced submission, which you saw people sort of forcibly broken down in Jonestown, right. versus renamed, right. Renamed you have is a that. big one. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that happens in The Handmaid's right. Tale. Your name is erased. The breaking down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are, I mean, there are, yeah, I mean, there are some good examples I saw as far as, like, the role of undue influence and group thinks. Like, they would have this thing where all of them would surround someone and they'd all sort of point their fingers yeah. in mm-hmm. shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a girl that had, in the book anyway. Yeah, there she was broke a girl the rules that, and they had to stone her. Oh, no, there was a girl that, in like, before everything transitioned to the Republic of Gilead, she had had an abortion because she had been assaulted. And, um they would like do this like rethinking group where they would like talk through that event. And basically she would have to admit over and over again that like, it was my fault. I was leading them on by this style of dress. So it just, it, it's very, yeah. She's like, Margaret Atwood is the OG feminist that's been (laughs) hiding. (laughs) I mean, she grew up, she grew up in that period of time. Like she really is, she was deep in the heart of the oh, stuff we've talked about, like it's historical feminism. Honestly, yeah, oh, gross. And it's anyway. very emotionally, I very was, emotionally. I was charged. kind of like looking at all the modern day feminists, like, do you abiding my pretties? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and she just, she like didn't. Um, I guess that's one thing is like there's not a lot of subtlety. No, it's subtlety. Uh, it's all just very like even the fact that she used that token sort of like, well, what if a girl is assaulted um, and she didn't, you know, choose it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you use that to point out some alleged inconsistency and point out that the, the Christian is okay with rape. Right. But right. you know, I don't stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Rachel and Leah center, this right. is what happens in the book. This is the facility in which the handmaids are trained and housed between assignments. Uh, it's named after the biblical story of Rachel and Leah, which provides the framework for the handmade wife arrangement. So in it, obviously, there's a true correct account 
of Rachel and Leah, and there's a whole context to that. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's one of those examples of this unique situation, this particular culture, and God working out his goodness and in his sovereignty in spite of this situation. Which is, And you look at this whole story in context, there's no thus saith the Lord. Yeah, like, they were this not is, being obedient right. in either of the two <laughs> situations that they're using to... Right. I don't know. Yeah, and if and if you, if you think about it too, when you know, and that's the problem too with a lot of different even Christian films that they'll they'll have some sort of movie that would uh, describe you know like a Christian this Christian couple, right? But most of the times, the way it's all sort of sugar coated and those sorts of things. But you know, if you're just if you're following a couple like twenty four seven of what they're doing, it'd be there'd be some stuff that if this was documented and this yeah. was viewed hundreds of years later, I right. mean, I mean, both of you are married and you sometimes have gotten fights with your husbands. I mean, if that was somehow a public record of account and someone was like telling that story and people viewed it, it would be, it would seem like, Oh my gosh. Were I can't they believe even it. Christian? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, seriously. And, and so but that's, that's the real narrative here. And I think um, it's, it's just one of the things to truly understand. And then another thing, is in it maybe we could talk about this true because this is an example of atwood's vision is that ultimately a christian society versus a progressive uh liberal dystopian uh, or what do you call God it U- utopia, well, really utopia like sort of this this u- perfect utopia her idea is that in on one women are oppressed so in it, they have the t- you're talking about the tokens, right? So this is these are the currency for women, especially for uh, handmaids and Marthas, to use when shopping, because women are not allowed to read, and tokens right. contain uh, illustrations of what they can purchase. So right. remember, I was showing I was showing you that newspaper at the yeah. very beginning, and you'll read it. Yeah. This was propagate. This is actually advertisement that was used uh, when they are launching the show. But talk just real quickly for anyone who's about what does the Bible say about women. Are they are they oppressed? <laughs> are they downtrodden upon? Is this something that is was used by sort of this conspir all these different unknown forces are trying to create this canon of books that's made to oppress and control women, or is it something different? Expound upon that. Well, I think it's just funny how if you actually are aware of the Old Testament and far the far east at the time that much of the the pentateuch was written uh the nation of israel had a radically high view of women and i think when us as with as modern readers who don't understand the history or the context it's easy to read it and be like (gasps) you know you hear the stupid arguments like (laughs) the bible forced women to marry their rapists and all this stuff and it's so easy to throw those things out there and it's so easy to read that into the text well and because christians don't know their stuff they get embarrassed and right illiterate. and don't yeah. know how to like respond to it and so instead of being like well actually god put such a high value on women that if you mistreated one it was actually up to the father uh but essentially if you sexually abused a woman then you had to pledge your life money fidelity uh faithfulness to her for the rest of her life that's that's how high a value the old testament puts on women and so anyway the <laughs> it's just so funny how easy it is uh, for us to be so deceived into thinking that the Bible actually has a low view of women. Um, but, you know, the thing Joy and I talk about all the time, the big problem that we have with Christians being comfortable with feminism is that 
the Bible actually gives us all that you possibly need to view women correctly. You can't actually put a higher price tag on women than you can when you go back to Genesis mm. and how they're made in the image of God. There right. is right. no higher value Ooh. you can assign. Can I, can, I, can I add something to that too? Yeah. In, in it's, God also says it's not good for man to be alone. All of the creation order, this is good, this is good, this is good. Yet the crowning of his creation was not complete. Until, until he made Eve woman. was made. That's right. Mm-hmm. Until he made woman. Yeah. So you don't actually have a higher... And not just because she could have a baby. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. not at all. There's nothing to indicate that right. in the scripture. No, right. and, and instead he actually allows women to procreate because man needs woman. Right. right. You see, you see, he loves yeah. women that much. Right. Right. It's kind of that old, um, you know, you, you look around at creation and you're like... Oh, that's so amazing. Look at these amazing ocean creatures. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at these amazing ocean creatures. You look love at these ocean sunsets. Creatures. Look at these flowers. I watched my octopus teacher last night and bawled my eyes out. <laughs> bawled hysterically. I have not cried that hard. My octopus teacher? My octopus teacher. It's a new documentary. You oh, have okay. to watch. I All can't. Right. Yeah, I, absolutely. I'm gonna, I shouldn't talk about it right now. I have to focus. Um, <laughs> are, you like, are you like with sea creatures like Kristen Wiggis with sloths? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're thinking about the other blonde chick. No. Uh, oh, the other Kristen. Kristen. Chen. Frozen Kristen. Frozen Kristen. Anyway. Oh, yeah. We're so far off. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you look around, you're like, the earth is beautiful, and God did all these amazing things. And then for some reason, when he came to Bell. his crowning Bell. achievement of creation, he got boring. He made a baby machine. That's what you think the Christian right. teaching is. Right. right. Like... That is so reductive. It's so stupid. It's so far off from any kind of real tethered understanding to what the Bible says about women that what Joy and I have been saying for years is that when you say, you know, we need feminism for this or that, you are you are eschewing that you have Mm -hmm. been given more than you could ever possibly need to right. assert the value and worth of women. It was given to you back in Genesis, and then it was like over well, and, and over only, established <laughs> in Scripture. Uh, not only do you not have it, but you must supplement your view of women with agnostic, atheist, God-hating, <laughs> promiscuous. Like, what are you doing? Like, and it's it's all because I'm sorry, but the foundation of this is that we want men get to have sex with whoever they want with no consequences. That's not even true, That's first of all. not even true. Um, nope. And so, <laughs> and so the idea is just like, we want to be able to have sex when we want to be yeah. able to have sex. Yeah. We don't want to be beholden to any, mm-hmm. any laws, whether they be natural or mm-hmm. imposed by man. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what we're fighting for. We're fighting yeah. for our base impulses because we don't, even though we conflate everything and give it all this this value and worth, mm-hmm. we actually have no idea where any of that comes from. Right. Mm-hmm. We think that women are going to become more valuable the more because we said they are more. allowed to sleep around. Right. And essentially, when you when you as a Christian, when you're like, I can be a Christian and I can like also have some feminism. What you're saying is like, I can have this like amazing steak dinner and like a lobster on the side and some vegetables. But I also need to make sure that I eat it with a pack of those like fake candy cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Like that's what you're adding to it. Like that's, that is how, that is the difference. Ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
candy cigarettes is what I was going with. Because really, if you're going to talk about goodness and truth and beauty, like it's like comparing like a steak dinner to having being like, no, listen, I have this steak dinner of truth over right. here in the Bible. But what I really want for dinner is a pack of the candy cigarettes. That's mm. what I want. Well, and they project that view because they're because um, their worldview is so based off of self and their own perspective. They project that onto the Christian, which is how you get tyrannical Christian regimes like the one mm-hmm. in The Handmaid's Tale. Because in their mind, they're like, well, Christians are just making it up as they go. They just decide <laughs> that I'm not allowed to sleep with anyone. Right. So, like, I can just decide whatever I want. And it's like, but that's actually no real Christian is going to claim that they're just going by their their religious impulses because we don't have those impulses we're born into sin imagine being a feminist and thinking that others are too bossy (laughs) (laughs) what what i find they really are a bossy group like a sad (laughs) a sad reality of it as well is um these people who are extreme feminists which i would say presuppositionally is not feminism at all god defines what a woman is right right what is a woman? Let's ask them. What is a woman anyway? Right. Well, they're, they're typically the most depressed oh. and angry yeah. and bitter individuals. We know uh-huh. joy comes from the Lord. Right. Yes, right? she does. Look yeah. at her over and there. What, what I find interesting, though, is the, the devil is a very, very wise uh, mm-hmm. angel, fallen angel, right? Mm-hmm. And the Bible defines what's the highest worth to a woman is, mm-hmm. is her virginity. Mm-hmm. Right. And what the devil does is instead says, no, 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 no. You want to be sexually promiscuous right. mm-hmm. because the people who propagate the worldview are typically atheistic materialists. Right. They deny all of the spiritual aspects of reality. However, when there's a sexual intercourse going on between two people, it's not just mm-hmm. physical pleasure. Right. It's also a spiritual uh, interchange. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Mm-hmm. What we see, the fruits of this worldview, and we can look at it now when we're looking at the pictures of all of these BLM riots, mm-hmm. th- these people aren't happy people. Mm-hmm. Their worldview is not giving them hope. No. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're... Where have your impulses gotten you? Yeah. Right. In- mm-hmm. Instead, they end up looking like men. Right. In an, uh, actually taking a role where they think there are no roles. Why, why have it at mm-hmm. all? Mm-hmm. You right. know, it's, it's really, it's like a sad, bitter reality. Right. Well, yeah. I think any identity that gives you where you are oppressed... I mean, it's not something that you can just sort of, I can identify myself as an oppressor and get on with my someone who's oppressed and who my oppressor is and then just go on with my life. You can't, for that to be, that identity to be sustained, you constantly have to fuel it through like unquestionable hatred. That's why there's there's no end, for example, to the counterculture of things that people are angry or offended by. It's mm-hmm. it's something every, every single week. Well, um, you, and you get to absorb the oppression from your group, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And it even goes as far, this sounds ridiculous, but it's true. It goes, it's to the extent that women get to absorb, absorb Offred's oppression. Mm. Right. Even though she is a made up person. Right. You're dead on. She's yeah. so good. She's, this never happened. This, right. This never happened. I know Margaret Atwood said it happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But it didn't, it, it, didn't it happen. hasn't happened no. in the way that it happens in this. I'm not saying right. that women have always been. It's fiction. Right. Yes, it is fiction. And, and consider that you get to share. So you can all, even if you yourself haven't been specifically oppressed, you can share. Mm-hmm. So any, that means now any woman that's ever been wronged 
Any woman that's ever uh, been raped, assaulted, treated poorly by her husband, I can now absorb that. that as though it's happened yeah. to me. It, it's obfuscation of the real issue. The biggest oppressor is sin. Yeah. Right. Right. It's obfuscation. It's wanting to take a get atonement in other people by reversing the power structures. Right. It's saying, yeah. repent to me, bow right. to me, right. ask me for forgiveness. Yep. When the truth is, is that the devil doesn't want you to see that you're a slave to sin. Yeah. yeah. And you need to bow your knee to Christ. And only right. true freedom comes from mm-hmm. believing that the eternal God took on flesh and died on the cross for your sins. And the world can't abandon theology. Right. It, no. it, exactly. Even in word, <laughs> like mm-hmm. even in concept, like it yep. infiltrates everything, whether you're worshiping the true God or yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Atonement comes from someone. Right. Or something yes. or idea. There's a reason why you want atonement. There's a reason why you want freedom and you mm-hmm. don't think that women should be chained up and locked away for procreation. Right. There's a reason you believe that. It's not because Margaret Atwood wrote it. <laughs> right. I was actually reading this incredible article today on AmericanMind.org about how about the depression mate the depression rates among women since the rise of feminism. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And it is absolutely crazy. We should share it when we share the episode uh, because basically, so since, since uh, the second wave of feminism, the highest overall rate for female depression amongst our older generations. So like our grandmother's generation mm-hmm. was 3.7. That was the highest percentage of women that reported feeling depression. I bet it's insanely higher than that uh, now. As of 2012, it was around 22%. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's even seven higher ti- now. Seven times higher. Which is, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say like we've jumped. Which is insane. Almost to half probably. It's a 700% right. increase. Uh, suicide wow. rates <laughs> follow the same the yeah. same pattern among women. Um, and then all the reports that have been coming out, we've known for a decade. We have known for a decade that once women have children, they actually want to stay home with the children mm. and they feel tremendous guilt for it. Like every study, every poll has found this. Was that, hmm. is that from um, Christians? Do you think that's why they would feel no, guilt? No, this is not even, this is, no, yeah, I mean, oh, do right, you think the that's Christians why make they would feel, feel that guilt? way? No, I mean, is this your is salvation all... <laughs> based off of you staying home with your children? Right. No, mm. no. I mean, people are even starting to realize it now secularly, like because of COVID, their children right. are at public school and they're like, wow, I actually kind of enjoy yeah. teaching my kid. Maybe they, I yeah. keep my kid home. <laughs> How yeah. many people what? out there do you think j- they think they just discovered homeschooling? <laughs> right. <laughs> like they, yeah. discovered, right. they were the first ones. They're well, like... <laughs> That's so a really what is interesting this? article. No, there's a great, That's there's a great article. There's a funny meme where it said something about, uh, Mom, like stay-at-home moms uh, perceive like before COVID than like after COVID. Yeah. And the yeah. first one was like something like Little House in the Prairie. And the second one were like all the characters oh, from like yeah. Wonder all, Women, I like all the one, yeah. Amazons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I just want to state, and I think um, I want to hit one point here uh, in the kind of like final statement here is that one, just to talk about what the Bible says about women. And this would also go against what Atwood is saying about what, how the patriarchal system, which she's kind of really referring to the Bible in many ways, even though she's kind of, she kind of says in her interview, she's not really referring to any specific one, but you can just tell through the show. Oh yeah. They are, they are prejudiced towards trying to paint Christians in this light. And then they're, and then they're carrying it over when it comes to the fact of, you know, legislation that comes through the ballot. I mean, if you know about things that, especially recently in California, they just passed legislation to, um, it's some sort of co- about the consequences of, of oh, someone, of, yeah. of someone who's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't remember the exact details, but that has, that whole legislation is dealed on a sexual es- a sexual ethic of secularism. And so that worldview go- it completely, mm-hmm. 
is the logical outcome of that of, of, of that so what you look at just talking about what the Bible says you think about in the Old Testament you also have two books both the book of Ruth and the book of Esther mm-hmm. and both of them have women they're titled their name the name of a woman mm-hmm. and does it talk about them in a, in a degrading no. category at all no like no if you think about like what ruth did and even the she's mentioned later in the faith hall of fame but then also you think about esther and her really she changed like a nation and saved tons of people because she's she a hero yeah she is willing to go before this king and be killed mm-hmm. And she did it anyway. So it's probably this incri- this amazing, inspiring story of courage. And then when you talk about anything that represents an oppressive patriarchal society that oppresses women, I wouldn't say there is a section of the Bible that talks about that, but it's not talked about in a positive light. It's the cultural time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You look at the Pharisees and how they use the law to go ahead and just, uh, you know, really be a law unto themselves. You could literally say to your wa- to your wife, I divorced you three times mm-hmm. and then you're divorced. Jesus spoke against that. Mm-hmm. He condemned that. Mm-hmm. And then if you think about, you know, I was thinking about the example when they're giving about the tokens, how women can't read or write and how they're not viewed any, uh, they're just viewed almost as non-humans. They were viewed, women were viewed that way in a Jewish court of law. Like their, wis- their testimony witness wasn't even valid. So it's interesting that when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, the historical count of the first two witnesses were women. Mm. Right. So which, according... Which doesn't make them apostles. Right. right. Just, Just to be very clear. <laughs> Is that a thing it. in feminism? That's a thing in Christian yeah. feminism. Oh, wow. Where? What? By the way. Yeah. No, huh. I gotta listen to your podcast more. Yeah, you should. Anyway. Check out Sheologians. They're an amazing <laughs> podcast. Definitely check them out. We'll shout out there. Um... So one thing I want to get as we wrap up here, I think this is just good, and we're kind of leading up to this, both in both the interviews to introduce them to these shows. The one thing that Awad brings up, and this has always been centered around, is the aspect of abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they and it gets redefining terms, is calling it reproductive freedom. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what they're talking about is the oppression mm-hmm. of millions and millions of unborn babies mm-hmm. who they're only crime is being who they were and existing the way that God formed them in the womb Mm -hmm. and at least according to their standards and so yeah I mean that how would we how we go against Atwood's worldview because I think this is the important aspect because in many ways this the whole handmaid's outfit has become almost it's gone out of the television show to really becoming like a symbol Mm -hmm. or a cultural icon Mm -hmm. of women just going for the right so in the very beginning of that uh, episode to, to this episode, she's talking about uh, how Ireland, how that's a good and wonderful thing. And we were, and Pastor Jeff and our team, the End Abortion Now team, they mm-hmm. are over in Ireland mm-hmm. to repeal, not have the Eighth Amendment repealed. Then, then now yeah. all of a sudden, now that it's abortion is fully legal in Ireland, you can abort a child up until the day before birth. Mm. It's wicked. Both. M- wicked. Tons of little women, little mm-hmm. Irish women, mm-hmm. are being murdered mm-hmm. and being chopped apart in yeah. the name of wonderful, progressive, mm-hmm. you know, fr- women, women, women having this freedom to be able to do what they want to do with their bodies. Yeah. So this is why. Just give me your thoughts on how do we understand this this worldview and this ideology just being propagated through Atwood's view and also through the show and the influence mm-hmm. on that. How do we deal with that? How do we answer that? How do we combat that as Christians? 
I, I, okay, so I would combat it this way, and it'd be presuppositionally. If you're atheistic and you live in a materialistic worldview, number one, you're nothing but matter in motion. You do not matter. You're just a coincidence, and your consciousness is an accident. So you, to be consistent, you just have to be quiet all the time. Number two, if you're truly agnostic, you just sit around with your thumb in your butt because you can't know anything anyways. So what we can see is the folly of people who don't have an objective standard of God all start practicing infanticide. And I find it odd that a matriarchal society and an animal kingdom are hyenas and they are, uh, uh, in, in the animal kingdom, they're one of the highest practicing uh, animals that do infanticide. Mm. And mm. it's a matriarchal society. So mm. uh, in, terms, in terms of worldview, I'd state if you're atheistic, materialistic, look at your presuppositions, examine yourself, be quiet. If you're agnostic, take your thumb out of your butt and actually examine what you're thinking, what, what the, the, the worldview you're presupposing, because you cannot give a justification even for murdering children. You can't even give one. Mm-hmm. You can't give one right, and we know it's wrong. And like you said, uh, I think just pulling up the abortions worldwide this year says uh, 30 million so far this year. There's around 50 million every single year. I think since I think uh, one of the statistics from Roe versus Wade, when they count the abortions total, I think it's like 1.7 billion. What's the population of the world today? 7.8 yeah. 8 billion. So mm-hmm. we've, we've de- decimated one seventh of our entire population. The United States of America, just uh, abortions that are surgical, I think is around 62 million, but that doesn't count chemical abortions. Right. We're 380, 390 million strong. We've decimated almost one fifth of our entire population. Um, abortion, I would say that abortion is the, is the blood atonement for the wrong that has been, or perceived wrong or, and wrong that has been done to women. And it is the outcome of intersectionality because that is how you correct oppression. You give people freedom to, to do something and be forgiven for it. They need a sacrifice. So it's just like in the book it's i thought i i read that line and i was like man that's what it's really all about it's about what can i do mm. and not be judged mm. and if you are if you are a god hater and you deny god um and his existence you will still find theology in your life mm-hmm. and what you'll realize is that um outside of any objective reality there is right and wrong somewhere in the world and my behavior interacts with those two things. And because you, um, because I want to, because I don't want to have to raise a child that I don't want. And because I can't have sex without that potentially happening, you owe me the blood atonement of a billion babies in counting. So I think what you see all throughout the, just why 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 are people okay with with killing babies because we're at the point now i think originally when when roe versus wade took place there were people we didn't have uh ultrasounds like we have now we weren't we weren't looking inside the womb like we are now so a lot of people like well it's not it's not really a baby right it's just Mm -hmm. a clump of cells well we can't argue that anymore because we can see the baby we can take pictures of the baby we can monitor the baby we can do surgery we can do complex surgeries on the baby we know that it's a baby why are we okay with killing babies? Because we say that, yes, it's a baby, but it's not yet a person, right? So this is the new, mm-hmm. it's not really a new belief, though, because 
that statement falls perfectly in line with, I think, therefore, I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So because the baby uh, doesn't have cognition on the same level as an adult does, therefore, we can kill it. So you have to earn your right to personhood. And what that ends up doing is it gives you things like... Forced euthanasia. Can Mm -hmm. I even say that? Mm -hmm. Um, Because once you can't contribute to society anymore, once once you're not valuable, once you you can't act on your impulses, uh, then you are not a person. Your personhood is lost. And so one beautiful thing that I think Christians need to recapture is the Christian belief that you are valuable because you are made in the image of God and not because you are a certain age or you're capable of certain things or you produce for society in a certain way. Um, your brain and your body are not two separate things. Um, the transgender ideology also rests on this personhood theory, this theory that you think, therefore you are. So I think I am a man, therefore I am a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, that is why we are comfortable as a nation killing unborn children because we erase their personhood. Um, We erase the personhood of uh, Down syndrome babies, of disabled persons, of older people. If you cannot produce, and this is, you know, people are, beware the Christians that uh, mock people who call things Marxist that are Marxist. But this is very Marxist ideals. What you produce makes you valuable. Right. Right. That is a a Marxist ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a atheistic ideal. That is a secular ideal. Um, And if we are just apes with ego trips, then that that is all that matters. What we can produce for the group is all that matters. You are reduced to what you can do. And therefore, the less you can do, the less valuable you are. Mm. And you shouldn't have any rights. So so the unborn, why the unborn don't have rights because they're not worth as much as the mother. Um, and this this is how our society thinks. Um, and it's how persecution is going to keep coming. And so Christians have to be ready to offer the biblical view, which Mm. is actually like beautiful and exciting. And it gives everyone value that you don't have to work for. And it's like, it's so, it's so funny how these Christian ideals are often depicted as this like oppressive, like dark negative thing. But then you take like a look at what the secular view offers you and it's like it's hideous and Mm. and it and it reduces you down to the sum of your parts and so we kill the the, we we kill the babies for their parts Mm -hmm. right um because that's all they're worth to us and um, at the end of it you just have someone throwing a fit going well i just want to have sex with who i want to have sex with (sighs) Yeah. Anyway. At the cost of right of dead children. Mm-hmm. So the true dystopian universe that that is real is the one that we're living. Is the one in. that yes. we're living and, in is the one that the secularists imagined. Right. Yes. And it's all to keep your mind off of death, because regardless of I think, therefore I am, is mm-hmm. the fact that you're going to die and you can't think yourself out of the right. grave. Yeah. You can only mm-hmm. really build yourself a coffin to keep yourself comfortable in the grave. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just as we wrap things up here, when we talk about, okay, how is this even relevant to, like, the world? uh, I mean, we're giving examples that's relevant to your show, but especially when it comes to how is it relevant to the world, the cults. Like, one of the things we tried to do from day one, uh, you know, especially just to talk to your listeners here, is that we kind of realized... In the, in the launching of Cultist, that we saw shows like uh, Leah Remini and Mike Rinder with Scientology The Aftermath, like an incredibly well-done show that was doing their best to give an answer for the abuses of Scientology, right. like against um, 
Yeah, and trying to make sense of that, but even without a biblical worldview. So they would they had times in their show where they talked about these forced abortions that happened that were because of their commitment to being in the different schools um, that they were in the Sea Org, and that was something that it was horrific. But if you push Leah Remney, I don't think she's pro-life at all. Right. But in that particular instance, she chose, oh, that was wrong. But no well, cons- according, yeah. according to what standard? No consistency. Well, and then that's just, again, that's another impulse. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling bad about people who have been Choice. abused by this the right. Church of Scientology. I'm feeling bad about that. Right. So I'm going to react on that. But, like, if my other impulses have not been informed to mm-hmm. feel bad for babies that have died... Like, what should I do? Nothing exists outside of what I feel, except mm-hmm. for, unfortunately, some people feel the opposite of me. Right. And it just, it's, and then it's just all about power. Mm-hmm. It's just the pen, when is the pendulum going to swing right. to where I'm on that side? Mm-hmm. And I have the power for my impulses to mm-hmm. be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. That's that, not how, we're not just like, we're not just a bunch of people like bouncing off of one another. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. If you, if you think that you've bought you've bought what the world is selling. Right. And that's why you might feel embarrassed to say Mm -hmm. like, God, God believes this about sex and Mm -hmm. God believes this about women and Mm -hmm. God believes this about how the world was created. Like, you know, (laughs) this is how the world was created. God did it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I'll just say too, is like one of the things you saw with that, Scientology, af- the aftermath episode is that a lot of times, and even similar documentaries, secular documentaries about people who are abused by cults. There's a HBO series right now called The Vow on the uh, self-development cult, Nexium, where there's human trafficking going mm-hmm. on, and that was a whole other deal. But in all these documentaries, it's, it's always the premise was, okay, what happened to you was bad, and that's because the cult was bad, right. and now you're not into it, and let's all cry together. Right. But there's no... Well, bad, but bad according to what standard? Like, right. where's the and where's your ultimate hope? And that's the one thing in, in developing colders that broke my heart is that I just saw these people who were just thrown through the wood chipper of spiritual mm-hmm. abuse, and there's no hope given to them. Mm-hmm. And it, there's times where I just got teared up just like seeing these people without hope. And but even talking about the importance of even a show like Coltish is even dealing with uh, giving a tr- having an ultimate standard for mm-hmm. distortions in many ways. You know, Walter Martin gave the definition of any sort of group or movement centered around a certain person's uh, misinterpretation of the Bible. Um, and in many ways, this is exactly what this would fall. Atwood's worldview in this book is really becoming its own religion. So theologically, it would fall under Walter Martin's category of a mm-hmm. definitive cult. And even right. when, it, and so one of the aspects too, a, a cold expert Stephen Hassan, as we wrap things up here, he gives the he talks about. Um, okay, Jeff. <laughs> I know he keeps going. I love it though. All right, yeah. last point. Last point. Last, last point. point. Okay, hold on. I got. I got. Last <laughs> point. Mini Jeff. If I, I know, if I say to long, make a long story short. Oh, that's where it's you just gonna said, be a long. Just zone out. Yeah. Pull a Jerry. And... Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Steve Hassan, he wrote a book combating cult mind control, and in it, even though he. He's not a Christian, and he does bring up a lot of good points in the book, and I think he does bring up something that's true, that in many ways what a cult, the psychological aspects of what a cult does is that they take a person's unique identity and they replace it with an ident- with, a, with a unique cult identity. Yeah. Um, and that what happens is that deep down you have your true self that's suppressed by the cult identity, and once you lose that, 
cult identity, you would see this person sort of come to, and that's you'd see it happen a lot in a lot of these whole deprogramming sessions that happen back to both Hassan and just when people would have to unthink the way they've been taught by a cult. Mm. So when we, let's just, when you look at how the world and how God created it and what how God biblically defines women, the moment you, life begins at conception biblically. So the moment at conception, you are a mother. Mm-hmm. This whole ideology that the Handmaid's Tale propagates is that mm-hmm. no, you are you have bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. That all you, you you can do whatever you want to do, and this thing inside of you is just this clump of cells. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, if I go ahead and practice my reproductive freedom, therefore, I'm practice I'm practicing that, and I, then I can go ahead about my life, and that's that's empowering to me. Mm-hmm. But in reality, that's. That's the cult identity that's given to them, that I'm this woman who I can do whatever I want to do mm-hmm. under the banner of female empowerment and reproductive freedom. But the authentic self mm-hmm. that they are suppressing, the authentic self is how God made them. Every right. single person that tries to celebrate, celebrate reproductive freedom, they know deep down mm-hmm. that they are a mother mm-hmm. and that child was murdered. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can't get away from it. And that's one of the reasons, if you do all the research and studies, is that if you talk about women who have had abortions and we want to be able to reach them with grace and compassion, is that the amount of depression, mm-hmm. guilt, yeah. shame, suicide, yeah. uh, those sorts of things that have happened, that happen within women who do that. And so mm-hmm. that's why... Well, and statistically, those things occur in women that are promiscuous in general. Right. Um, women that aren't in a loving single singular relationship with mm. their husband. Um, it's that's, it's a huge deal. I, there's this quote, I don't, she's a feminist, so I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember, but she used a great phrase cause she was, she's an old school feminist that sort of looks at the like, um, like, uh, she would not be considered a good feminist now because she thinks that women like shouldn't objectify themselves by entering like sex work and stuff like that. But so anyway, she used the phrase, uh, feminist posturing, Mm. which is so, um, powerful. I think to imagine Mm -hmm. a woman, she's pretending to be like empowered and I'm a feminist and I have all this stuff. But in this quote, she basically says like, I don't care how practiced you are at this at feminist posturing when you find when a man leaves your bed and you find out that he, that you are basically nothing to him, like that hits you. Mm. Like in, she basically said it's, it's inescapable mm-hmm. and that you're, you are objectifying and like devaluing yourself. Even her as a secular feminist right. could real saw into that. And so I do. And that's, you that is something that we forget or don't bring up enough. Mm-hmm. We accept, we know that people are fallen and we know that people are broken and hopeless and we let them play the part that they're whole mm-hmm. mm. and hopeful when we know that they're not mm-hmm. just based off of what gives you freedom and hope. So you have these people who are looking for the stuff they're campaigning and parading for it and uh and there's a reason and it's because they underneath this like exterior mm-hmm. of this strong woman or the abled mask. woman or yeah. 
I work and I'm a mom or I work and I've had abortions because I want to my career. Yeah, I want to tap into my real potential instead of just staying home with kids. Underneath that, it's it basically what I'm saying is that's a posture. Right. It's pretend. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Yeah. That's good. Well, um, I feel like I've kind of given my opinion on The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I'm, I'm did you? Did a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> And I and I kind of kept that short. I did. I made. I made that. I kept that long story short. Short. So that's another whole another Jerry story. But you'd have to meet me in person. We'll yeah. tell that for the sake of the podcast. Jerry is an adjective, you guys. Just to bring this full circle. Yes. It's yes. an adjective. It's yes. an adjective. Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks for uh, inviting us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And thanks for inviting us too. You're welcome. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> because. Well, technically, you will be. This will be on your platform before it goes yeah, on ours. Right. So, in some ways, we would be invited on to yeah. Sheologians first. We open yeah. the door then, for the women. Yes, That's and they right. walk through first. Ah, the oh. patriarchy <laughs> are always telling us what to do. I know. <laughs> no, you go first. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, uh, if you if you really enjoy that, if you're on our platform, you're listening to this, you want to check out more about. Uh, Joy and Sh- Summer and their Sheologians podcasts and all the different uh, topics where they bring the her into contro of her her sheol uh, <laughs> topics. Sheol, sheol, yeah. She, you put the sheol. Controversial. Oh, yeah. See, you'll get better. At it. I, yeah. I get better in it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's it. better. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely check out their stuff and check out their social media. And uh, yeah, so thank you all for listening. Uh, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. I'm kind of scared to ask that because I... Oh, I haven't asked for iTunes reviews in yeah. so long. I actually had like... If this, you want to. We had this like regiment of women go leave bad reviews, but we still have like almost five stars, so... I kind of... I, I get to a point <laughs> <The matriarchy>. where... <laughs> <laughs> I, I get to I get to a point when it comes to reviews now. If someone's like, "It's so amazing, so biblical." I'm like, "Well, that's awesome." You know, but all of a sudden, I get the one star reviews. I'm like, "Oh yeah!" So, I'm leave us a review. Mm. There, I asked for a review. Yeah, I'll ask you guys again. Give Sheila Ask you guys again in 2022. Yes. <laughs> for iTunes reviews. And leave them a voicemail. Right? Oh yeah, four seven zero four six five zero four seven five. Leave us a voicemail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, all of that. I don't. I don't have anything else. That's it. Maybe Andrew, should we get a voicemail one of these days? It's Why really. Not? It's it's really a lot of fun. fun. Maybe we she should. Even does. We she should just tell them people to call their voicemail. No. And make them think it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. She even does like a because Google it gives you like a little transcript of the mm. but it's horrible. But, but they do a bad job. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so even better, I start to like amass them and then read bad voicemail transcriptions. It's really great. But That's sometimes good. you see the transcription and you're like, oh, this person's <laughs> oh, mad no, at us. It's gonna be but then so they're like, bad. hi, love you so much. Yeah. It just and mm. call during Google just labor butchered it. That's what, yeah. kind of what Google does with the news anyways. They just yeah, show you. Right. Butcher it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as a rep here, apparently on your show, what you do is you play sort of like outro music. Yeah, I do. I play so music. what we're going to do just so people kind of get a feel for you is that whatever out, we'll find out whatever outro music you can choose it for this episode and the last one. Okay. So we'll look forward to whatever that yeah. is. The mysterious outro music. So um, people like, Sometimes I really biff it and I click like the wrong song at the wrong time and it's okay. hilarious. And then sometimes I play songs and people are like messaging me about it. And then one time before I got my new laptop, my lap my old laptop was like dying. Like it it couldn't do anything. It and so I like do hit, basic computer things. I hit play on iTunes and it wasn't coming. So Joy and I just like 
hummed hummed everybody out that week. I think yeah. it was like I think we hummed like Dolly Parton or something. I don't know. It was maybe we oh, have oh, it Patsy Klein. Patsy Klein. Yeah. We have it so together, you guys. Mm. Yeah. I want you to know. Really prepared. Okay. So on that note, check out this outro music that yeah, Summer was prepared for whenever. No, I don't have any. Over. I don't, don't have any. Well, I'm not gonna... I'm not plugged in. No, do you want to just you could send it over to uh Isaac yeah, yeah, and you okay. could select it. Yeah, enjoy this music. And enjoy this music. <laughs> we'll add it on later. If not, we'll just cut it out. But anyways, we'll just leave it uncensored. We're just we're we're slap happy now. We've gone for a little while. <laughs> hey, uh, all right. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you uh, next time on Cultish, where we enter into the kingdom of all things cultish. Bye. And the cults. See ya. Talk to you soon.